0: Welcome into a, another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry, the Cat's Paws. Derek, back at it again. How are you today? Doing good, Sean. We've made it to Wednesday.
1: Uh, two episodes in this week, two more after today, but hanging in there. Um, I know you've been busy today. We're recording in the evening again, and uh, Unlike last week when we waited it out a few days, we were not saved today by any news, were we?
0: <laughs> Nothing we really happened. Unless something just breaks right now. But I, I will tell you this, Derek, it was another beautiful day in the state of Kentucky. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful week in the state of Kentucky. But if Mark, Stoop has, mark Stoops has been praying for rain, he sure is going to get it Saturday night, isn't he?
1: He is. Uh, I'll be interested to see if Kentucky can get to that 12,000 mark because uh, – 90% chance of rain still going into that. Uh, I don't see that early fall. I mean, this, we're talking about a, you know things from a tropical storm coming our way, so I don't think this is something that's going to change. You can expect a little bit of rain Saturday, maybe Friday on the episode when we go through some of those SEC games. Because I can tell you this, Kentucky is not going to be the only uh, school effective of that. I was looking at Georgia weather for the Tennessee game, and it's also a, a little less percentage of rain, but still enough to where I think a lot of these games in the South. I mean, we saw – Missouri will now be hosting LSU. That game was supposed yeah. to be in Louisiana, but that has been moved up to Missouri. So you're going to see a lot of rain on Saturday when you watch college football.
0: Is that something that you've – have you ever seen that before, though, even with the hurricanes and the tropical, the tropical storms that come through in the south? I don't know if I ever remember two schools being well, the location of a game. Did they do that? Florida and
1: LSU had a big ordeal about it a few years ago, and I think part of how that stuff went down is why they were able to do it so effectively this time. It was a big – I don't know if you remember that. Look it up if you don't remember it. It was a big deal. Um, I want to say whichever. I think LSU won. I think it was supposed to be in Louisiana. I, I can't remember how it went down, but however it happened, it was a goal line stand at the end of the game. And uh, I think it was LSU. Man, was and that they played? When
0: they won. Was that played on a? Did they end up playing that on a Saturday? They played it on a weekday because I remember.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I think Georgia and South Carolina ended up playing on a weekday, the early okay. Sunday. They put on a Sunday one year.
0: Because I, uh, I know I I've seen the NFL
1: season I think so like that was kind of the focal point that day on the SEC network was that game.
0: Because I know I've seen games moved and I've seen them postponed, but I just uh, couldn't really remember locations. But this will be LSU's first ever trip to Missouri, so what a way to do it! And I, I, who knows how you handle tickets and stuff and <laughs> ticket sales. Missouri gets another home game. Like, does all that money go to Missouri now, and LSU just doesn't get any money from that game? I don't know how that works out.
1: I don't know how it's going to work out either. And uh, Florida actually won that game I was talking about, 16-10. to 10. It was not LSU. Florida won. So, uh, no, you got a good point, though, about the ticket sales. They were not anticipating one of those games. So, Missouri, um, I guess if you want to call them lucky, I don't know. They're, they might be the only team that ends up with six home games this year, though. Unless something else happens this year, they'll be the lone SEC team. And, unfortunately for LSU, I guess six row games this year.
0: Yeah, and think of this, too. You know, we had Doring on for yesterday's episode, and he, he talked about how weird of a year it already is. And now you look at a situation like that where LSU thinks they're playing at home this week, and now they're having to play at Missouri, which has nothing to do with COVID-19. But that just that just adds more factors into how weird this year already is, Derek. are you, the, With each passing week, do you just more or less be like, okay, what's going to happen next for this football season? Like, what, what's going to happen this next week?
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of U.K., I think it couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, And I answered that today. I had five questions to answer for our Mississippi State side on 24-7, and he was asking about – he told me I didn't have to give a score prediction but rather I saw their game plan out. And I was like, well, I don't think Mike Leach will be thrilled to see wind gusts possibly up to 30 miles per hour with a 90% chance of rain on Saturday night. I don't think that's the way he drew it up for the air raid. Versus a team that has run for over 400 yards uh, four of the last six games. So I would think it would be advantage Kentucky that way. I mean, wouldn't you? Uh, I don't I think an air raid team uh, will fare well in a uh, driving rain with wind.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a mess for sure Saturday when, when you look at this. But then Mississippi State, they have a weapon there in Kylan Hill, Derek. And his the way he impacts games, it's changed this year early on. He's doing a lot mm-hmm. of his work. Catching the ball out of the backfield, uh, put up was it 145 receiving yards in Week One versus uh, LSU. Yeah. It, it was I know it was a lot. So
1: he yeah, a long uh, touchdown uh, catch. Catch I think it was a 75-yard touchdown catching run.
0: So and you're facing uh, a guy who really he killed him on the ground a year ago in that mm-hmm. matchup. Uh, the last time he was at Kroger Field though, Derek, it was one. It, probably was the worst game of his Mississippi State career. So how much do you think that he's looking at wanting to go back to that stadium and have a good game?
1: I'm sure he is. Uh, Like you said, he was really good in 2019. Uh, Garrett Schrader was really good as well. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Garrett Schrader is a wide receiver now for Mississippi State. The guy who played quarterback last year uh, for the Bulldogs no longer plays quarterback at all, if I remember seeing that right. But you're right about Colin Hill. I mean, he might be back in a more traditional role that he's used to. Um, Now, how much Mississippi State has kind of practiced their running, I don't know. I feel like they will do everything they can to try to keep it a normal game plan. But if the conditions don't call for it, then I don't know. Another thing, too, is hopefully probably by the time we record Friday, but even more into Saturday, like, you'll have a better idea of if this is going to be something that just – if there's just going to be rain all day in Lexington, or if it's going to be scattered here and there, everything I've seen so far suggests it's going to be just a rain the whole time, similar to Missouri last year. So, I guess the good news for Kentucky is that they have quite a bit of experience—the same group playing in the rain. Hell, I'll go ahead and say it. they might even have a little bit of confidence going into this game if they know there's going to be uh,
0: <laughs> going to be rain. Those guys are, bruh they're probably excited, especially at secondary. I mean, any any help you can get the way this secondary has started out struggling, it I think it gives Kentucky the edge in this matchup. I think it changes the way this game will be played. It gives that defense maybe another factor, a chance to make plays. But Colin Hill is definitely going to be the focal point of this Kentucky defense having to stop him. Uh, Derek, I don't know if you got to see Mike Leach's press conference the other day, but he actually he played the Air Raid siren on his phone. So how cool is it, though, to think that out of all these years where the Air Raid with Mummy and Leach it sort of had found its identity there in Lexington at Commonwealth Stadium, and now more than 20 years later, he's coming back. He's back in the SEC, and it's his first time back in Lexington as a coach.
1: John Hill had a really good story uh, in the Courier-Journal. He talked to Hal Mummy for a story about Mike Leach. And uh, in John's story, he wrote that, obviously they both came from Valdosta state and Leach had his salary doubled all the way to $60,000. So think about that now. How much does Eddie grand make? Like 900 grand as an (laughs) officer coordinator, like a little, I think 23 years later and it just shows how much money is blowing up. But the point that I thought was funny was that, uh, those guys just being with the air raid and everything, people were interested in them so they could get endorsement deals. And Mike Leach was a big fan of beef jerky. And I don't think the, Brand was uh, uh, referenced in John's story, but basically, he had a garage full of beef jerky. Like that's, he didn't get paid cash, he got paid in beef jerky from this company. So I thought that was a really cool thing. Um, he, he had enough where he would bring it into the office and everything. So that was a good story that Hal Mummy told. Um, but you're right. And it's the first time Leach has been back uh, as a head coach. He spent two years right at UK, or maybe three.
0: It was uh, at least two. It was I'm two, sure yeah. And then he went to
1: Oklahoma, it. I think, in 99. No, no, no. He went to Oklahoma in 2000, I think. I could be wrong there. But he, uh, he I know he spent a year at Oklahoma. I think he only spent one year there under Bob Stoops, actually. Mark's brother, of course. Um, before starting his head coaching career at Texas Tech. And, you know, I know they were loving Leach down there that first weekend. And then last week it was kind of, you know, what, what in the world just happened, losing to Arkansas. And unfortunately for them, if it's a rain – you know, a very rainy game. I'm not seeing any comments from Leach about how he will approach this. It's, I mean, it's not like weather in Washington State was great all the time, I'm sure. So that would be maybe something worth going and looking up. But I don't know how you would really find that, unless you just remember watching games where they played in the rain. But either way, um, you're right. It's cool. I know he's a guy, Leach, uh, mommy era still talked about uh, in terms of peer entertainment, always with people who watched a lot of football back then with U.K., Probably helped keep that idea for a long time that Kentucky could only be competitive, kind of doing gimmicky stuff. But clearly the air raid was not a gimmick; it's st- stayed around all these years. And, and Mike Leach is going to see what he can do in the SEC with it.
0: You mentioned his money. Now he's making an annual salary of five million dollars. Yeah. So he uh, now he can go buy his own beef jerky and everything. <laughs> so he's he's got plenty. But you mentioned the years he was at Kentucky. He was there '97 and '98 and then went to Oklahoma in 99, and Derek, since then, he's been he's had some stability in his jobs. He was at Texas Tech from 2000 to 2009, and then he was at Washington State 2012 to 2019, and then now he's at Mississippi State. So he's been four places since he left Kentucky in the late 90s, but it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be an exciting matchup. Uh, he's still... One of the funniest interviews, so who knows what he's going to say and what, or what he's going to tweet out next because uh, his Twitter is definitely something to follow. But uh, this episode is brought to you by The Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Today is Wing Wednesday. So if you listen to this episode in time, get out to the pub, 75-cent wings, $2 domestics. Uh, Get out there this weekend, watch some SEC football, watch Kentucky Mississippi State at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time Saturday night on the SEC Network. But this is Kentucky Daily. We'll be back with more after this. Call Bryant Law, 261-7381. This is the attorney, Jeremy Bryant. Have you been injured at work in the last 24 months? Contact Bryant Law. We want you to understand that every dime an insurance company keeps from you is another one they keep in their pocket. You're entitled to just compensation. So don't let the insurance company tell you what's proper. After all, you're the one who has been injured on the job. I'll evaluate your case and tell you the truth. Call Bryant Law in Corbin and get what you deserve. Visit online at jeremybryantlaw.com. Welcome back to Kentucky Daily, Derek. the The running back room has been a big topic this week, given Cavassier's smoke's injury. It's it's a rib injury. It's a broken rib. Uh, suffered, I think, with about 35 seconds to go in the second quarter Saturday when I went back and watched the game. And uh, they said at least a couple of weeks. Derek, given where the bye week is, it wouldn't be surprising if we don't see him until probably any more this month, honestly.
1: Yeah, sounds like an incredibly painful injury and one that you would hope would really be held up by the time a running back came back because, you know, he's going to be taking shot after shot. But that led to the point I wanted to bring up, and I know you had mentioned it uh, Saturday, right? You had predicted it more so that Chris Rodriguez
0: would eventually take the lead back role and really run with it. Yeah, I did. I predicted that Saturday night on the post-game episode that – and that's no knock on A.J. Rose. AJ's still going to start every single game. I just think that when it comes down to it, you get that, that ball control running back, that guy that gets you those extra yards. He His pads are always moving forward. And, Derek, I think that for Chris, a guy that's going to be here moving forward in the future, I just feel like he sees this as, okay, this thing is now here for the taking. Now there can be some separation between those three backs, and it's an opportunity that I just think that he's going to seize control of.
1: I think you're exactly right. I wrote about that this morning. Uh, This will be the first time, at least in terms of a game plan, that – I, I predicted maybe closer to a fifty-fifty split for Grant or for uh, Rose and Rodriguez. Although I, I know they I think they're gonna have to have a third back at some point. And it will be Tisdale McClain, but I could almost see them kind of taking like the twenty seventeen twenty eighteen approach that like they had with Benny, where they just try to play. Well, I mean, Benny pretty much played what like eighty percent of the snaps. It felt like maybe yeah, more, yeah. but uh, Yeah. Yeah. Saheem would get some reps, and then the next year Rose uh, was a much more productive backup than Saheem King was the year before. So he probably got a few more carries if we go back and look at the numbers. But I think this is a real opportunity for Rodriguez. I, I just think when you look at him, he looks like a every down back in the, in the SEC. Five eleven, two twenty five. 225. He's, he's got good enough speed. Um,
0: he's durable.
1: I mean, he's his durable. Team, he's yeah, off he's, the chart. He's not had any issues. I mean, the biggest issues he's had were self-inflicted with fumbles. And They were. I don't remember the last time he's fumbled. It seems like it's been quite a while. I don't want to jinx him. But, uh, you know, he he played a lot down at Georgia last year once Cavasier went out of that game. And then he had other games where he was just a hot hand. I'm thinking about – I know he had a good game against Louisville. Vanderbilt is a game that's standing out in my mind because he had two touchdowns that game. He 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 played well against
0: Tennessee too, didn't he? Didn't he have a pretty solid game that night last year against Tennessee?
1: I know Smoke had the touchdown – Seems and
0: like he, uh, seems like he played quite a bit in that game. Did he score the touchdown? I can't remember remember you had like that like
1: fifteen play opening drive or whatever, like eight minute drive to open the, I don't remember who finished that drive off. I think
0: Smoke did score a touchdown on that He drive. definitely
1: scored off the uh, Smoke scored when they blocked the punt. Pascal did and they scored the very next play with Smoke. But either way, this will be the first time that Grant has probably developed a game plan where you won't be accounting for Kyle Kavosia basically. And I think just given the weather, things like that, I, I honestly think they're going to be hesitant to play more than those two, unless they have to. Uh, and when I say those two, I mean McLean and, and uh, Tisda. What do you think about that?
0: I think so, too. I just I feel like given the, the weather conditions and everything, I just feel like it's going to be a lot of Rodriguez. Uh, I think third downs, some of those – In between third downs, I think you can see A.J. Rose on the field. One thing that A.J. is very good at is picking up the blitz. He's really good at some pass protection there. Uh, I saw there was one play Saturday where he literally had two guys to block, and he ended up giving Terry enough time to make one of those plays. I can't remember which play it was. Uh, But I do think that A.J. will get the first series, but I do think that Chris has an opportunity here. And going back to that Tennessee game last year, Lynn – led it with 114 yards but Rodriguez was second with 81. He had 12 carries for 81 yards. But you're right, the uh touchdown one of them was Smoke, one was uh Rose. But Rodriguez, if I remember correctly, Derek, he was the guy that was in with Lynn he late was, in the game. Small. Yeah. So he he had an opportunity there. I I just feel like it's been it's been Smoke gets a lot of the attention because his plays, he he's the one that's put together the, the huge plays, the big chunk yardage plays, like the one we saw at Auburn, uh, the one we saw last year versus Eastern Michigan with his wiggle, how he can bounce it outside and make an explosive play. But I'm with you. I think Rodriguez is the, the guy that looks like an SEC running back. He's He's got the size. He's got enough speed. Uh, he does look like Benny Snell when he's out there running. That's the kind of body that you see, and we saw how durable Benny was in the SEC. So I just – I just think Rodriguez is going to look at this as he's made it through the tough times, and now he sees an opportunity to to take advantage of it. Not to, not to say Rose can't make plays. We've seen Rose make some big plays, and they need both those guys. Plus, they need one of those freshmen to step up in Smoke's absence.
1: I'm going to guess it's McClain. I know they're battling it out this week in practice. I think if it comes down to somebody else playing, because it's not like Tisdell has – even played to the. I know he played against C.T. Martin last year, but it's not like he's ever had a meaningful carry before. So I think you throw that out the window when you're thinking about if you're even considering who would be a safer choice. Because I don't think he's done enough to really prove himself as that. I know he got in there for that kick return, um, didn't really amount to much. Uh, I, I guess if there's anything that's in his corner, Tisdale it is, is that Stoop seems to like him and thinks that he's a pretty explosive guy who can make some plays. But the way that Eddie talked about McLean. It makes me think if it comes down to it and they need to play one of those guys, it'll be Jatan.
0: I'm with you. I, the way he talked about him in preseason and fall camp, it just it seems like that he just sort of jumped off the page at them and the way that he handled himself and the way, he, I get Derek, he came in prepared. Uh, Eddie said that when you turn on tape, it, you know, mistakes show and he didn't have any flaws. And stuff. So I, I think that Jaton's a guy that they're that they're definitely. I, I think you'll see them get opportunities both of them. But I would be surprised if it wasn't McLean. Uh, but when you look at Rodriguez, nine carries, thirteen yards at Auburn. We talked about it. It was it was in weird situations, like inside the five yard line. Uh, he should have had a touchdown. But then you see that production: seventeen carries, one hundred and thirty three yards, a seven point eight per carry. I mean, that's. That's a productive running back. I, I just think that when you look at that, he has the hot hand. Let's, let's see what happens Saturday night in a messy, rainy condition.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be a favorable night for those running backs. And I don't want it to make it seem like we're forgetting about A.J. Rose. What I had in mind when we were going to talk about this is just that, like, I think you can see maybe the future of the backfield start to be shaped up a little bit. Um, and this is projecting more than anything. Uh, maybe Tisdell is the guy who plays. We don't know yet for sure, but if it becomes a thing that McLean has passed him, like I think at some point he, he's not the way his options because when Smoke does come back, he is going to be, you know, right there. But he I, is. Think, I honestly think Rodriguez has a chance though to kind of become the lead back on this team Rose is always going to have a role like you said there are a lot of things that Rose does well but you've already seen that it started to shift the other way even going back to last year like there were games where Rose would be he would have the third most amount of carries out of those guys so they've shown in the past they're not afraid to, to play Smoke and Rodriguez and if Rodriguez is being productive I don't think they'll have any problem giving him the ball 25 to 30 times on Saturday night
0: he's carried the ball 92 times since his last fumble so he fumbled it he's twice up. versus Toledo and now he's at the ninety five carries without putting it on the on the turf. I, I think that he's what he's done in that time frame, Derek, is he slowly last year started gaining the trust of Eddie Grant and Mark Stoops and now I think it's to the point where they're like, All right, big guy, we're gonna lean on you in a game like this Saturday night and when you have that it just takes so much pressure off Terry if they can lean on him.
1: It does for sure. Um Wide receivers might be back to blocking this week. <laughs> I mean I'm sure they'll try to make some kind of uh, effort to throw the ball. But, you know, it's it's gonna be challenging and if there's any risk of turning it over if those conditions are just so poor. I mean maybe it plays out a little bit like that Vanderbilt game a few years ago. There wasn't really rain in the ball, but it was a windy night. Vanderbilt had a little bit of success throwing the football, but Kentucky was just very content to keep it on their ground and You might get a lot of run out of Terry. I mean, does does the game plan, if you know you're going to be running the ball
0: a lot, does it include Joey Gatewood? Well, I was actually going to ask you that question. Is this the game that we see Joey Gatewood on the field in the Kentucky jersey? I I think there's a chance, especially in those goal line situations. I mean, Kentucky, let's put it this way. Kentucky's had trouble at the goal line. Yes, Saturday was self-inflicted because it should have been a touchdown on the initial play. Rose did own up to that play, though. I want to say that is that he put out on Twitter that he's learned from it and everything, and that's that's forgotten about. Now it's a fresh start. Uh, but they have had some struggles inside the five-yard line, Derek. and I just feel like that at some point you've got to roll Joey Gatewood out there, at least for a snap or two, even if you don't use him, just so you can let other teams prepare for that aspect and at least have to be like, okay, he's been on the field. Now we know that there is some package for him, even if he doesn't do anything.
1: I I completely agree. I think that – uh. Again, it's tricky putting a guy in who's not played yet if the weather is not great. Because I think any kind of turnover is such a big thing. I mean, you remember last year against Georgia in a rain game like that. Kentucky didn't turn it over, but it was a shaked punt that really kind of swung. I mean, that was probably inevitable that eventually Georgia was going to take control. But, um, you know, those are little things like that. And a game that is not going to be normal it can be little things like that that sway it. But I agree with you. Like, if you're going to be running the ball a lot and touchdowns are going to be hard to come by and you do get in a position where it makes sense to use Joey, I'm with you. Put it out there. Put it on tape. Make teams at least have to prepare for, for that in the future.
0: My prediction is, though, for Chris Rodriguez, I think he goes to for 150-plus Saturday night. I think that he has a huge it. game. I think that he could go 150 to 200 yards and just have a huge night. Uh Derek, is there anything else on the football side or you want to move into the, the SEC basketball stuff that we were discussing? Anything else you wanna add?
1: No, I think that's good. Let's let's move into the hoops. Uh, like you were just saying, John Rothstein. John, I don't know who he writes for now. Who <laughs> <he's> <laughs> I think making, it's still he, CBS he it on Twitter. Well, I don't I don't think he writes for I think he does something for C B S, but he also does something for another place. Uh John, if you come across this podcast somehow, I apologize for not knowing exactly what you do. But that's not really the point. Everybody knows John Rothstein. He is one of the, uh, I'd say, most well-known college basketball reporters with his tweets about March and things like that. Um, Sean, I'll read you the top five of his SEC preseason power rankings, and then we can discuss these and round it out after that. But perhaps controversial for uh, uh, folks listening to this, but number one, he had Tennessee – as his top team going into the SEC basketball season. And then he had Kentucky at two, LSU at three, Florida at four. And then how about this, South Carolina
0: at five? I don't don't like the South Carolina at five. Uh, I just – I have no problem with Tennessee at one. Tennessee at one, I think that given what Rick Barnes has done, what he has coming back, the recruiting class he's brought in, you go with the experience in that situation, which they have it. Kentucky doesn't. Uh, Kentucky is sitting in the two spot right now, Derek, just in my opinion based off of history and based off what what they've done under John Calipari. And I think John knows by the time SEC tournament rolls around, Kentucky will be one of the top two, top three teams in that league. Uh, the, the team that I think is way too low, though, is Nate Oates at Alabama at number seven. I, I feel like that – we're getting close, Derek, with the way that he recruits. He landed a commitment the other day from a big-time player. I really think that Alabama might be the next Auburn under Bruce Pearl or a Tennessee under Bruce Pearl that's going to keep climbing, and I, and I think it here in the next couple of years, Alabama's going to be a top-four team in the SEC, making NCAA tournaments every year. Having exciting offenses, I just I like Oates. I think he relates to his players well, and I think players like playing for him. I
1: agree with you. He's he's recruiting well. He's he's won everywhere. He's pushing me. It was just Buffalo, but he got there at a time when Bobby Hurley was really getting that thing cranked up. And he once they, I mean, once Hurley left, I think the record was even better under Oates those next two years. So and he's not afraid to ruffle some feathers. I mean, he saw that at Buffalo when he played Kentucky in the tournament. So he's not going to be someone who's going to be intimidated or back down to John Calipari or any of these other coaches. And I mean, there's some decent personalities in the league. I mean, Bruce Pearl I Merlevin, like that about no, him.
0: I, I like that about him, and the reason you I need like that it
1: when you're out of school like well, Alabama.
0: Well, let's look at let's look at Cal in the '90s when he was at UMass. I mean, we've seen the clips on the 30 for 30 oh, yeah. of him when saying, you know, that all this stuff that. You know, I'm going and they, even at Kentucky, you you hate me because I come to your town and we beat your team, and those things like that, like that that swagger. But when you're at a place that, at Alabama, where you're trying to, you're trying to win over the football crowd. Now, Alabama, I will tell you this, they have, it's not to me, it's not the same level as Kentucky football passion, but there are, I've I've I actually lived in that state for a year at one point. So i got to know a lot of Alabama fans and they do care about their basketball. When, when I've seen it in the past, when uh, Anthony Grant was there, that they love their basketball. I actually went to a game. They played Georgetown at Coleman Coliseum. And I was like, wow, this is a, this is a really good environment here. Then I covered a game down there two years ago. It was a great environment when uh, students were on winter break. And most of it was just mostly Alabama fans coming from all over the state. But, I like that swagger in a guy at a place like that, where you're having to compete with Nick Saban for attention. I mean, you've got to have something. I think he'll be a guy who will be successful at Alabama, and it wouldn't surprise me if one of those
1: blue bloods come looking at him. But I agree with you going back to Tennessee. Like, I think they're – when in terms of just how unknown it's going to be for UK, like, I don't think it would even really be right to put anybody besides Tennessee at number one. I mean, they have uh, East Ponds coming back. You know, they had Josiah Jordan-James, I believe I got that right, um, former five-star recruit who didn't put up a huge freshman year, but really against UK in that second half, he really turned it on, made his presence felt. He's somebody that I think he will expect to continue to develop. And then what really helps him is, you know, Fulk- I mean, Fulkerson is like, you look at him and you just don't really think much of him. But, I mean, he – no kidding, is like a legitimate, probably going to get some votes for preseason first team. I uh, actually he will we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, <laughs>
0: What's San, that? San, is it Santiago Vescovi? Is that how he says his name too, the point guard? Yeah. He, he,
1: but I wouldn't be surprised because, I mean, he supplemented the talent on the roster. I mean, they got, what, two five-star guards, Keon Johnson. Did. And uh, I'm forgetting the other kid's name now. I'll have to go look that up. But they signed a top five recruiting. Springer. Jordan, uh,
0: Springer. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, they have the pieces – On paper, it's honestly – they're going to be a trendy pick to make the Final Four just given their experience, and now he's mixed in uh, five-star recruits and things like that. But, Derek, in the past, this is a coach in Rick Barnes who hasn't done well with the higher caliber talent that he gets. He he does really well when he gets guys like Grant Williams, uh, Admiral Schofield, and those guys that they're good, but they're not – like the expectations around them. You know they're three- or four-year guys. But Rick Barnes is a good coach. I I don't know if I would pick him to get to the Final Four, just given I don't know if I've seen enough. But he will definitely be a trendy pick where I think a lot of these national guys, I think that you will see Tennessee in the mix in some of those preseason predictions for a Final Four spot. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, they're going to be – they have a good mix. You would think of,
1: of talent uh, and experience, and some of those young guys. Who knows how much they'll be counted on? Because schools like Kentucky, you know, they're going to be counting on young players, and even uh, Auburn this year will be a team. But you know, you mentioned I, once you be, I mean LSU. I, I like uh, three spot. I didn't really realize how much they're bringing back, and you know, we'll the Will had uh, Javante
0: Smart back. You had to tell Sports me he was
1: back, coming Gary back. Smart, Garrett I mean, I think. Uh, they they had a five star kid who left. Who was the other big man? And I'm sorry, I didn't prepare for this well enough. I guess, but he was a big yeah. recruiter. He um,
0: was. What was his name? Don't believe he's a
1: big anymore. Uh, Let's we'll look that up. But I don't know uh, you're
0: talking about.
1: He's one of the only guys who left, and he was part of that you know team from a few years ago that made a Sweet 16. Uh, but you know you got a kind of a core intact of, of guys who were there who have played in big games. And Wofford, um, speaking of preseason first team All SEC guys, like. He'll be up there. So who knows what that's going to be like with them if the Will Wade stuff gets resolved? I don't know. I mean, they—that's pretty much since those kids have been there. There have been, you know, allegations or whatever. They've been in the news for things like that. But
0: Emmett know. Williams. Emmett you Williams what, was the big man, or the big man's oh, name, right? Let
1: me double check and make. Yeah, I think that's right. Let me double check, make sure he's not there. He's not. Okay, so he's gone. But uh, you know. And then Skylar Bates is gone. gone. Place. Yeah, Mays it, is a
0: senior. It is a good roster. Uh, I think it's
1: Ruth a uh, – Shaquille son should be eligible this year.
0: That's right. That's a good point. I forgot all about that. But it, it's certainly – the league's going to have some really good teams at the top. And, and I will say this. Tennessee will get a lot of the love preseason. Don't be surprised if they are the media's pick to win the league. I think that they will I had be a won- bump. That's what I would do. I'd pick Yeah, given given what we know and what we don't know about Kentucky, I think that that would be the smart pick. I think even a lot of Kentucky fans would even say the same thing, just given what we don't know. But I will say this, if Olivier Saar is eligible at Kentucky and they get that inside presence, I do think Kentucky has enough there to, to beat Tennessee and win the league when it comes down to it later in the season. Like by the time those matchups are played, and who knows when those games will be played. We have no idea – on a schedule right now. But if they get SAR, uh, it definitely strengthens Kentucky's chances. And I do think John Calipari will have another club there. If those two freshmen and B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, are as good as advertised, I, th- I think that they'll have a shot at a deep run and maybe a Final Four. I agree with that. I mean, early in the year,
1: it's probably not going to be pretty. But once they get that practice time in, once they start to mesh together, I think you like Kentucky's talent. One last thing on LSU before we go to some of these other teams – Really good recruiting class last year. Finished sixth nationally. Cameron Thomas, is a five star guard. So you'll have two former All Americans probably starting in that back uh, court. And then uh, I don't really know how to pronounce this kid's name. It's, uh, I'm going to say Mawani Wilkinson, M W A N I. Four star small forward from Las Vegas. And then Eric Gaines from Georgia. He was a late riser. I remember him. He was a guy who really, the spring of his senior year, kind of shot up the rankings right there before uh, COVID happened. So. Another good roster for for Will yeah. Wade. That's never been a problem for him <laughs> having good having good kids. So, and make of that what you will. If you want to talk about how he assembles his rosters and how he gets kids say, to come yeah. to LSU. That's a
0: you strong ass. Play. That's a strong ass roster right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
1: uh, let's get into some of these other teams, Sean. Uh, you mentioned Alabama earlier. Auburn comes in at eighth on yeah. Rothstein's list. And if you want to see this list, just go to John's Twitter. It's at John Rothstein. Um, kept it short and simple on his Twitter name. I like it. Auburn at 8th. Auburn actually has just as much, if not more, turnover than Kentucky. They lost their entire starting five last year. Did not quite bring in the same kind of recruiting class that Kentucky did. So with that in mind, knowing that they have most of the guys who you know about were mostly just role players last year, bench guys, <laughs> um, to still be 8th in a preseason poll, we you think that's uh, some respect there for Bruce Pearl from John?
0: I don't know. Uh, two years removed from the Final Four, they've been one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, I, I would say so because I do think that all those teams ahead of them have a solid argument to be ahead of them. Uh, Derek, the interesting thing to watch, how many games take place on campus, and this is a school, this is a program that benefits from playing at Auburn Arena. They've been really good there. They don't have that environment this year. Great. So it'll be something yeah, to watch. Great. That's One of my favorite places
1: to go in the league.
0: Yeah, I do so go. great place. So, that's a, to me, that's an equalizer when you play some of these other teams that are close. And I just feel like in a year like this, where there's no advantage to home court whatsoever, it's going to come down to its talent.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: I think talent's going to win out in 95 to 95% of these SEC matchups, where in a normal season, when Kentucky has these guys and they go on the road at a Tennessee or they go on the road at a South Carolina, where – South Carolina and some of these schools would beat Kentucky early in the SEC schedule. I just don't see that happening this year. I really think that the the no fans and everything, I think the, the more talented team wins these matchups.
1: I agree. Let me just go ahead and read this. That way it will make it easier to give context. Uh, starting at 6th was Arkansas, 7th Alabama, 8th Auburn, ninth Missouri, 10th Ole Miss, 11th Texas A&M, 12 Mississippi State, 13, Georgia, and Jerry Stackhouse's Vanderbilt team comes in last. Out of that list, I would, I'm would i with you. I think Alabama is maybe being slept on a little bit on this list. Like, South Carolina is going to be solid, like probably come close to 20 wins like most years. Um, I, right down the bubble. I don't see yeah. them being a top five team in the league when all is said and done. Um, but there are two teams I want to talk about here that interest me and might not interest many people. I think Mississippi State – is a team that you will see with the new head coach pretty soon. It's I don't know what's going to happen in the pandemic, but like what what you see with Ben Howland is just kind of the classic example of really great start to his tenure in terms of acquiring talent. He signed a top 10 class in 2016, and then he had another top 25 class on that featured Reggie Perry and Robert Woodard. Both those guys were in the same class. And he's not had a bad tenure. They've won at least 20 games three straight years. Pretty solid for Mississippi State. Got to the end of a tournament, though, two years ago, got upset by 12th seeded Liberty. And he, that was a roster that had basically every guy he had recruited uh, was there. Quindary Weatherspoon, Nick Weatherspoon, um, Reggie Perry what was the guy on that team. All those guys are gone now who made up those teams. And he's not recruited to that same level. So he feels like a classic. This, is to me, is like a classic program that's going to take a dip right here and probably will end up going another direction.
0: I agree with you 100%. Uh, What has he done since he's been in the league? He still hasn't beaten Kentucky. Now, that's the only team in the SEC that Calipari has not lost to since he's been in Lexington. So that that losing streak goes back to the, I think, Billy Gillespie was the last coach to lose uh, to Mississippi State. Yeah, it had to be because, yeah, that's right. He did lose to Mississippi State once. Uh, But out of those teams in the bottom half, Derek, Ole Miss is a team that I'm circling. I think uh, Kermit Davis, I think he's building a solid program there in Oxford. I I look for that Ole Miss team to actually finish in the top six of the league. I think that that's a team from the bottom half that I really feel like that, uh, that they have a chance to move on up. And I'll tell you another thing, too, he's recruiting really well. At Ole Miss, I think that that's that's a program that you're going to see right there, along with Alabama, that I think could move up into that upper half. Uh, you mentioned South Carolina earlier with Frank Martin. You know, Frank Martin's he got him to a Final Four a few years ago. How much do you think that that's keeping him in Columbia, just getting to that Final Four? Because outside of that year, what really has he done?
1: Nothing. I mean, not too much. That's one team I've not gotten to look a ton into yet. I'm still working through my previews for the basketball yearbook. A lot of these teams I've already written about, so I feel a little bit better about them. I know that – I think he's a good coach. I mean, he took advantage of that year where they made the run, beat Duke that year, beat some other teams. wasn't really a factor when they actually did get to the Final Four, right? They got handled by – was it Gonzaga they played? or? Yeah, I think it was a Gonzaga yeah. they played that year. Um. But, you know, you got A.J. Lawson back. He's a good player. Cousinard, I believe he was one who hit the shot against U.K. last year at the buzzer, right? Um, yeah. He's, he's done a good job. Like, that is a program that really struggles to attract really good players. So, you're really building three, you know, rosters that you can pretty much count on your whole team being there for four years. So, you got to make the most of it whenever you do get those kids in there. Like, I think they're just going to be a good, solid program. Um if they finish top five, that's a job well done by Frank Martin. I kind of thought he would try to try to get out of there at some point if he had the opportunity. I don't think he's really in any kind of danger of being let go. Clearly not. I mean, clearly Rothstein thinks a lot of them, so perceptionally he's in a good spot. But when you don't overwhelm teams with talent, I just felt that kind of puts a ceiling on what you can do.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and Ole Miss too. Did you, I don't know if you know this, Marshall Henderson's actually back there on staff. back there. So yeah. you know he's back he's back in town now. Brian Tyree is gone. That was their guy that they went to last mm-hmm. year, but they do they still have Devonte Shuler, who was the second option there. Uh, so they they have some things back, but Derek, they're actually putting together a very solid 2021 recruiting class. I'm, I can't remember where it's ranked, but it actually was surprising to see how well they were doing in 2021 recruiting. I don't know if you have that pulled up at all.
1: Yeah, I'm it up right now.
0: Yeah, they got a few. Yeah, they've already got a top 50 kid, Deshaun Ruffin from Jackson,
1: Mississippi. And weren't they the favorites? Didn't they get a Crystal Ball pick for uh, Brendan Huntley Hatfield?
0: They, they did. So, yeah. I, I just, I, I just feel like that that's a program that I'm circling there, along with Alabama, that I, I think is trending in the right direction. Where some of these, these other programs, Eric, I don't know if, like you mentioned, Howland, I think he's missed his window to be good in the SEC. I just feel like that. You're now, once you get to a certain point, you you need something that's new. You need to just rip the Band-Aid off. You need a shot in the arm. And I feel like some of these programs are, even a Buzz Williams at Texas A&M, I feel like is going to move uh, beyond that. And I, I think that those are three programs right there that you could see trend into the upper half of the SEC in the near future.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. The other team I wanted to talk about, and also Brendan Huntley-Hatfield, of course, is still a 22-class guy, but I believe he's expected to reclassify. But uh, Georgia was the other team, and I think they're an interesting team for what they did last year. Well, obviously, we did not have this podcast last year, so we didn't really get to talk about it. My question to you is Georgia had nine freshmen last year. So, obviously, he was building a program that, even this year, probably is not going to be expected to do much. But by next year, you would think Tom Crean's program would have some kind of expectations. But the question I have for you, obviously, you would never turn down a talent like Anthony Edwards if he wants to go to Georgia. And, of course, he did. Does it really help your program, though, in the long run, to play through a kid like that for a whole year when you were so young anyway? It, I just feels like it's kind of counterintuitive to what you want to do. Like you're building for the next few years, but you're playing through a guy who you know is not going to be there
0: for it, the next few years. It only helps you if it works and it didn't work. And we've seen it not work for a lot of schools. We saw it not work for, uh, at, at, at LSU for Johnny. J- or was it, who was it? Johnny
1: it Jones, yeah.
0: yeah. Johnny Jones. Yeah. Okay. So we saw it not work there. I, I'm with you. Sure. You're never going to say, no thanks, Anthony Edwards. Please don't come to my school. But at the same time, you have to have something. And when you're at a program like Georgia, it's not the the top 20 recruits that you're getting. It's the way that Rick Barnes did it at Tennessee with the mm-hmm. Admiral Schofield stays for four years, the Grant Williams that stays, and those guys. That, that's how you build programs. Uh, the only time it works is if you're Kentucky, and some of these programs like Duke who – One's out the door, and then one's in to replace, and then you get more than one. Just getting one's not enough, I don't think, because then you're putting all your eggs in one basket, and then that basket's gone in six months.
1: Yeah, so now they're in a spot where, like, they had some promising freshmen last year. Uh, Tumani Kamara uh, was, a, was a good player. Uh, Severe Wheeler, I believe is how you say his name. He was a guy who actually set the freshman assist record at Georgia. So they have some good players. Christian uh, Brown. Is a, he was kind of a springy six foot six forward type kid. Like, I'm not expecting a whole lot of, out of them this year. But if he can work some some transfers for the next season, keep adding some good players. Like Tom Crean is a good coach. Like I know he's kind of the subject of a lot of, you know, he gets made fun of a lot by UK fans. But he's a guy who's. Led Marquette to Final Four, uh, revived Indiana. Maybe he never met, you know, the expectations of Indiana, but he had a team that was a one seed, didn't quite get past the Sweet 16. But he's a good coach, like probably a better coach than most who go to Georgia.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, I've I've had some weird interactions with Tom Green the last couple years. Uh, Other than the post-game press conference, you know the two locations or the one location that I've seen him in two times? Where the restroom at Georgia? Literally, <laughs> it, it's happened to me both years. We've been within. We've been the only two people in there, and I'm like, this is just. Why does this keep happening? Like two That's years. What are the chances of that? So, we're. If you're listening to this, Tom, I look forward to another meeting sometime down the road when COVID's no longer a thing. Rosskin also put out an SEC preseason first team, and on that team, on that list, he had John Patty
1: at Alabama. Uh, B.J. Boston of Kentucky, Trendon Watford of LSU, Keontae Johnson of Florida, and then John Fulkerson at Tennessee. So that's a pretty good
0: list right there. I, is
1: there anyone you would want to include? I think that just about covers everybody that I would have on there.
0: For a yeah, season. I think I think so too. I, I think that, that that's a solid list. I think if uh, maybe adding one name to watch, I think Terrence Clark has a chance. To possibly break on that list, it wouldn't surprise me if it's Terrence Clark and not B.J. Boston. Also, it wouldn't surprise me if it is the way it is. Uh, yeah. I, I do believe one of those two will be on there. Put it this way: if two of those guys get on there, Kentucky's very good. It's so very good it, that means they've had a really good year. Uh, Derek, uh, we do have some news here. Uh, Alex Goff, he yeah, yeah, he, won, he won that. Yeah. So you won, you watched watching, a little bit of that. You want, Do you want to talk about what we're what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, so Alex Goff, um, you people who follow UK Athletics, watch the news, you probably saw where UK golfer uh, Colin Brown passed away from cancer earlier this year. Um, and for these tournaments, and I don't, I'm not an expert on this, it's actually the first time I've ever watched UK golf on TV, but um, throughout the season I know they've been having a different player carry Colin Brown's bag when they play, and Alex Goff – was the guy who did it. I don't know if he did it for this whole tournament because today was the final round or if he just did it for today. I'm really not sure. But for sure today he had Colin Brown's bag and he had never finished better than tied for eighth in a tournament. And he went into today and I was watching it. He was nine under. He had about a four or five stroke lead throughout today's tournament. And they kind of had a bit of a blow up on the last two holes. Um, uh, I actually saw a tweet from Brian Milam, because I was trying to figure out what happened as we were recording. They kept showing him on the camera, and he looked like just like he'd seen a ghost. I mean, he was just uh, – looked miserable. And as it turned out, on the 17th hole, uh, he, he had a six-shot lead, and then he double bogged 17th, and he triple bogged the 18th hole because he hit the wrong ball out of the sand. There were three balls, I think, in the sand, maybe two. So I guess that counted against him. And he, his six-stroke lead was – up to he, he was only six, uh, he was six, over, six under, excuse me, and a kid from Tennessee was five under. And he had to sweat it out, but the kid from Tennessee went into the last hole tied with Alex, but he bogeyed the hole. So Alex Goff did win. Uh, they just showed him on TV hugging someone. I don't have the sound turned on. I'm not sure who that was, but a very emotional win. You're talking about a kid who had never won a tournament before, gets his buddy's bag who just passed away earlier this year and comes through with a win. That's, that's an awesome story. Yeah, uh, it is an, an emotional
0: win. A little bit of like uh, UK's golf counts. said, a little bit of colon magic there at the end to help him out. So uh, congrats to Alex Goff on a big win there. That's that's an incredible story. Uh, Derek, there's been another episode of Kentucky Daily. I think uh, we have Jacob Hester set for Thursday's episode. And do we have anybody from the Mississippi State beat? Have you got that lined out or anything? I don't think I have
1: anybody this week. Um, okay. Maybe you could find somebody late, but just with it being Thursday tomorrow, already having Jacob, and then Friday.
0: Mailbag uh, and everything. And
1: things like that, mailbag. So I think we'll skip on that this week. Tennessee, I know we'll have somebody. I know a lot of people on that beat. Mississippi State's one of those weird schools that I just I, – I know one guy. I don't know a ton of people down there. So the next we, two weeks, Tennessee in Georgia, we should have some people.
0: We should have had Neil Price on. We should have got Neil on to come on and talk about Mississippi State. would have been State.
1: good. Neil Price, former voice of the uh, Batcats here in Lexington, women's basketball yeah. in the U.K.
0: But this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll catch you tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.